Well, that's uh, definitely one of the most unique introductions I've ever been given. Was, was, was I just compared to a devil worshiper? Was that what happened? All right, okay. So, no, it is great to be with you guys. And uh, uh, I wanted to start off with, uh, with just kind of sharing, uh, sharing with you from my perspective uh, the history of, of Trace and that um, I've had a front row seat uh, to see the conception of this church. And it actually started like 17 years ago. And so, uh, so here's, here's, uh, here's the story. Uh, I was uh, on staff at Central Christian Church in, uh, in Arizona, and uh, I was a sports and rec pastor, and they asked me to do another job, and uh, I got to hire the next guy that would, would come in and replace me. So um, a couple years before that, I had uh, put on a basketball camp for first to sixth grade kids, and uh, to help me out, I brought the basketball team from Cincinnati Bible College out where I went to school, and uh, had them help put on the camp. And one of the guys that I uh, just watched over the course of the week and got to know and fall in love with was Corey Bullock. And you guys need to know from the time he was 19 until today when he's 36, I think he's gained a pound and a half. Okay, so uh, he looks almost exactly the same as when I, when I met him as a college kid. And so I had this opening and uh, uh, went back to Cincinnati, now graduated, and uh, just said, hey, uh, would love for you to, uh, to come out and do this thing at our church and uh, uh, pitch that to he and Amherst. They came out and visited. They, they said yes, so they came out. So he's our sports rec pastor doing a great job at that. And uh, we just decided, you know, uh, we think that he has a, more capacity than this. And so we wanted to elevate him to a higher level of leadership. So we moved him out of that. And then he had the job of finding the next sports rec pastor at our church. And so he told me, hey, I'm going to go uh, to, uh, to Lexington, uh, Kentucky, where I'm from. There's a guy I know there. Uh, I've talked to him, and I think he's the guy. And I was like, okay. So he goes back, and he calls me like one day into the trip. He says, hey, uh, I got good news and bad news. I'm like, hey, give me the bad news. And he says, uh, the guy I talked to is not interested. I said, okay, well, what's the good news? Well, he recommended another guy. So I'm going to go talk to him. I said, okay, great. Corey calls me after that meeting. He says, hey, I think he's our guy. Uh, his name is Aaron Pennington, and uh, the, the guy is a dynamo. He's going to do an awesome job. I think we should uh, bring him out and take a look at him. So Aaron uh, comes out, Aaron and Emily come out to Central, and our, uh, our first, uh, first night together we had dinner at my house, and uh, I, I like to remember this because not only did I get to meet Aaron for the first time, but after dinner we watched the Indiana-Kentucky game. The score, Aaron, it's kind of, I'm kind of trying to remember, I, we spanked them, okay? I mean, it wasn't even close, and uh, uh, Aaron still decided to come even after that, that experience. So now I got both these guys uh, uh, on my team at the church. And uh, a couple years after that, we went multi-site. So our second campus, we looked at Corey. We said, Corey, we think you're the guy to be our, uh, our campus pastor here. So Corey stepped up and did that. Uh, a couple years after that, uh, we launched our next campus, which was our third campus. And we looked at Aaron. We said, Aaron, we think you've got to have the uh, skill set and the gifts to, to lead this campus. So uh, I was overseeing our campuses, five of them. These guys were leading two of them, and things were going great. Both their campuses, very healthy, well-led. And I uh, love working with these guys. And uh, one day, it's about probably three and a half, four years ago now, uh, Aaron uh, takes me to lunch and he says, hey, I got to tell you, uh, God's laid on my heart that I need to go plant a church. And so I immediately uh, told him, um, why don't you go back and ask him again uh, to, to make sure, because, you know, my plan is you stay here forever with, with me at Central and we do this together. And so uh, he came back and he said, no, I'm really supposed to do it. So... Uh, we walked together uh, through that process, and, uh, and I thought at one time he's going to end up in Florida, another time in Texas. Uh, he was looking at Baltimore, lots of different places. And finally he comes and he says, hey, uh, things are coming together for Colorado Springs. I think that's 
where God wants us to go. And, uh, and so, as you guys well know, uh, Colorado Springs ended up being it. Uh, he came here central uh, in a big way, got behind him financially to help uh, Trace be launched and uh, s- support him in that. And so he's here uh, about a month, and then uh, Corey says, hey, um, I need to go to lunch with you. I said, okay. We go to lunch, and Corey says, hey, I feel like God's calling me to go help Aaron at Trace. And so again, I say to him, why don't you ask him again to make sure uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Corey comes back, says, yes, uh, I'm supposed to go. So, uh, so we walked with, uh, with Corey on uh, just transition his ministry there to here, and lots of people from Central supported uh, Corey in that move, and we support him. And so uh, you just need to know it is, uh, it's incredibly encouraging to me to be here with you guys this weekend, and I think about how long God has been at work to bring this body of believers together here in this church. And so when I look back, at, at least from my seat, it's 17 years uh, in the making. Uh, you know, I know very well uh, uh, two of your pastors. I love them both. And, uh, and so it's incredible to see how God is using uh, you guys in this community. And what I want to tell you is, uh, is you're just getting started. Okay, and there is uh, uh, the best is yet to come. God's got incredible things to do in you and through you in this community. So before I jump into this message, I just want to pray over your church and pray over each one of you uh, for the future of that, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into God's Word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. I, I thank you for Trace Church, and I thank you for the front row seat you've given me to see uh, just how you've orchestrated and moved things around to bring it into existence. And uh, Father, I pray for each and every person from uh, leadership down to everybody who attends that uh, you help them to have uh, just an ear for your spirit's lead and your voice and that they would be obedient to whatever uh, you call them to. And Father, I thank you for what you've done here and uh, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do here in the days to come. And so, Father, as we get into your word and we talk about this issue of encouragement, I pray that uh, you convict each one of us appropriately uh, so we can honor you with this in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get started here, and uh, I love this series you guys are doing, The Power of E, uh, honored to kick it off uh, for you this morning, and when Aaron asked me a couple months ago, and he said, hey, we'd love you to bring the encouragement message, uh, was thrilled to, uh, to, to be able to do that. It's something that I believe in, it's something that I, that I have uh, studied, it's going to be part of my dissertation, uh, Lord willing, I get to that point, um, but um, encouragement. Encouragement. So encouragement defined is, is simply this. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw a whole bunch of information at you uh, about encouragement, kind of defining it, illustrating it. And then at the end, I want to share with you a story that brings it home uh, uh, that I, I think will, uh, will speak to you. So uh, encouragement defined is this. It's the act of inspiring others with renewed courage or renewed hope. Okay, so when you inspire someone, you're literally planting courage in them. You're inspiring them. Uh, it comes from uh, the old French word, encourager, which means to make strong. And I love that picture of this word. So when you encourage somebody, you're literally giving them strength. Okay, you're, you're, you're investing that in them. And so if that's encouragement means to do that for someone else, uh, to be encouraged is to have inspiration, to have strength. Uh, to, to be able to, uh, to do things. And so we're going to look at both ends of that. We're going to talk about being an encourager to others. We're going to talk about how to be encouraged uh, yourself. So uh, all kinds of information in God's Word about encouragement. And so let's just look just at two verses uh, here really quick that uh, 
um, just kind of outline this for us and our responsibility as a follower of Jesus when it comes to encouragement. So the first one comes from Hebrews, uh, the third chapter, the 13th, 13th verse, and it says this, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Okay, and I, I love the, uh, the frequency there. Okay, this isn't a, hey, yearly, make sure you encourage somebody. Uh, it is daily we're supposed to encourage somebody. And then the next one's 1 Thessalonians 5.11, which says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Okay, so it's, it's a command from God's word that we're to build one another up. We're to give each other strength and inspiration. Now, if we were to go through scripture, there could be a whole bunch of individuals that we could look at that, uh, that were encouragers, but I just want to focus on, on two that I think are, are pretty important that, uh, that help to illustrate for us in the flesh uh, what an encourager looks like, what an encourager does, uh, what they, they say. The first one, his name is Joseph, and uh, he, uh, we meet him in the book of Acts. So in the Bible, uh, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which all tell about Jesus' life. The very next book is the book of Acts, and that talks about the early church and what happens at the end of Jesus' life and when he dies on the cross and is, is uh, risen to heaven. What happens with the followers of Jesus and the apostles? So that's the book of Acts. We meet Joseph right there in the fourth chapter. And uh, what we find out about him is uh, he's a Levite from Cyprus, and the apostles called him Barnabas. His nickname was Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. So this guy was literally such a strong encourager, that was his nickname. Okay, he's, he's son of encouragement, that's, that's Barnabas. And we meet him in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 36. He uh, literally sells a piece of property and he gives all the money to the church. He says, hey, use this however you want to, uh, to, to further the kingdom. And so that's where we meet him. And uh, in Acts 9, uh, we come across him again. And this is a really significant thing that he does. Uh, so in the book of Acts, uh, part of what we get to follow is how a guy named Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, who put Christians to death, uh, Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, and he becomes a believer in Jesus, and his name changes to Paul. So we get to see this happen in the book of Acts, but Christians all around the region, especially in Jerusalem, they knew of what Paul was doing, that he was persecuting people who were following Jesus. So that's where the story picks up in Acts 9. And so uh, Paul had to flee Damascus because he was going to be killed there. And uh, he's coming down to Jerusalem, and he wants to gather together with the other believers of Jesus in Jerusalem. But all the believers of Jesus in Jerusalem are like, we think this is a scam. That he's like just trying to get like kind of undercover with us and then persecute all of us, put us all to death. So we want nothing to do with them. We're not going to meet with them. And then what Barnabas does, and it tells us in Acts 9, Barnabas literally goes to Paul and he brings him in. And he says, hey, I vouch for him. Uh, he has a legitimate faith in Jesus. And Jesus has actually given him a huge job to do, uh, to, to, to preach the word to the Gentiles. And so, uh, so Barnabas encouraged Paul and literally got him accepted by the leaders in the early church. A couple chapters later in Acts 11, what we find out is the church is scattered uh, all around because of persecution. And wherever the church went outside of Jerusalem, these little uh, group of believers would grow as they shared their faith and they loved on people around them. If you think about it, it's kind of like a church plant that happened in all these areas. Specifically in Acts 11, it tells us about in the city of Antioch, there's a group of believers that they started to grow. The Jerusalem church heard about them and they wanted to help them take the next step. So they literally sent Barnabas to Antioch with the idea of encouraging them uh, in their faith. 
So this guy, who I think his highest gift was encouragement, uh, God used him in huge ways in the early church and to start uh, this movement of people who are following after Jesus to, to grow. The second person we're going to look at is, is what I think any time that we're going to look at God's word, the best uh, person that we could say, and that's Jesus. And so Jesus was an encourager. Uh, we could pick out all kinds of things. I'm just going to hit a few that, that illustrate this. Uh, first off, in uh, John 16:33, uh, uh, Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, just you know, to encourage all of us, raise your hand if you've had trouble in this world. Is any, anybody with me? Okay, so he's speaking to all of us, and his answer to that is, take heart, I've overcome the world. Okay, I, you're, it's not you might have trouble, you could possibly have trouble, it's you will have trouble, but be encouraged. Okay, I've overcome the, the world. Have strength, be inspired, uh, because I've, I've already overcome it. In Matthew 4, uh, we read about him calling a couple of his disciples. The, the first ones that we, we see there are Peter and Andrew, they're fishing, and he literally says to them, hey, put down your nets, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Okay, he gives them the inspiration. They drop their nets and they follow after him. A uh, couple of verses later, read about James and John. Same thing. He, he says, hey, come follow after me. And he inspires them. They, they quit what they're doing. They, they come and they follow after him. In Matthew 10, six chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, we read about Jesus sending out the disciples. And it's literally like a coach before a team takes the field. Okay, and he challenges them, he inspires them, he tells them what to do to go out and, and reach people. And then I also like in uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where he uh, is going to tell us what to do when you're tired and, and what he has to offer. And he encourages, he says this to, to all people who follow after him. He says, come to me and I will give you rest, all of you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke. Okay, wear my yoke for it fits perfectly and let me teach you. For I am gentle and humble, and you shall find rest for your souls, for I give you only light burdens. Okay, what a great word of encouragement that Jesus offers. Okay, I'm here to lighten the load when it feels heavy. And I think, again, if we were to raise our hands in this room, lots of us have moments of that where life feels heavy, and Jesus offers to take care of that for us. Okay, so biblically speaking, there's all kinds of, uh, of Scripture that, uh, that command us to encourage. Uh, we could find all kinds of people uh, in the Bible that did this, specifically Barnabas, who helps the early church, and then Jesus. When we watch his life and ministry, uh, he was consistently and constantly encouraging people. Okay, so, so God's word places a high priority on encouragement. But I, I want to talk a little bit further about how important encouragement is. Okay, so speaking of the NFL, I'm from Indiana, and so I know about the Colts. Is there an NFL team in Colorado trying to... Is, is there <laughs> somebody here? No. Um, yeah, I just want to point out, you know, you guys had to have the Colt come to help you win your last Super Bowl. Anyways. Um, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> he, uh, I, I do have to say this. Uh, when I was in Disneyland, when you guys first signed him, and I saw my first Broncos jersey that had Manning on the back of it, it was, it was bad. It was, it was like seeing your girlfriend kiss another guy. I mean, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. So anyways. I'm glad he helped you guys be successful. Okay, so in the NFL, home field advantage is worth three points. So when they go to determine the line for a game, the betting line that people are going to put money on, before they look at anything else with the teams, they say home field advantage is worth three points. And 58% of the time in the NFL, the home team wins a game. And I want to tell you that's all because of encouragement. 
Because you think about it. How many of you here have been to a Broncos game? Okay, a few of you. Okay, the whole time you are encouraging the Broncos. Okay, with your cheering and what you do. And then even more so, the whole time you're discouraging whoever they're playing by booing against them. So when you look at it, encouragement impacts sports. It impacts every area of life. And encouragement puts fuel in someone's tank when they're running on empty. Uh, Rudolf Dreekers said this, Humans need encouragement as much as plants need water. We constantly encourage or discourage those around us and thereby contribute materially to their greater or lesser ability to function. I love what he says there. Okay, it's humans need encouragement like plants need water. Okay, we need that to grow. And then he goes further and, and states, all the time, we're either encouraging or discouraging those around us with how we interact with them. And it's, it's our choice what we're going to do as far as how we, we impact people. So encouragement can put fuel in someone's tank who's running on empty. Encouragement also inspires people to go further than they could ever go without encouragement. And John Maxwell, a leadership author, says this, People go further than they thought they could when someone else thinks they can. Okay, so when you encourage somebody, uh, you're going to be able to help them go further than they ever, ever thought possible. And for you, those of you who are uh, uh, budget conscious, the most budget-friendly thing, the most budget-friendly gift you could ever give someone is a gift of encouragement. Okay, it doesn't cost anything monetarily to encourage somebody. And when you encourage somebody, you give them energy. And then, uh, I often think about every one of us with the people that we interact with, whether it's, it's family, it's neighbors, it's coworkers, all that. Uh, people that you interact with either give you energy or they take energy. Uh, who would you rather be around? Okay, all of us would rather be around people who, who give us energy. And when you encourage, uh, you're, you're going to be a magnet for others because they're going to want to be around you. They're going to want to get that, that energy from you. Okay, so what? So what's this mean for us? Uh, first off, we need to encourage others. Okay, we have to encourage others. Let's talk about a few ways to do that. Um, and as Jesus followers, we should be the most encouraging people around because we're trying to imitate the life that he lived, that we're trying to be more like him. So we should be huge when it comes to encouraging others. So the, the, the first way to encourage others is encourage others from the heart. Okay, encourage others from the heart. People can see through it when it's not authentic. Okay, if you're just like checking a box, oh, yeah, I, I, gotta, I haven't encouraged them in a while. I need to encourage them. They, they can sense that, okay? So be genuine, be authentic. Have your encouragement always come from the heart. Secondly, encourage in word. Okay, encourage in word. And this can happen by, uh, by saying something to them, obviously. Uh, this can happen by writing them a note. And uh, what I want to suggest that's, that's happened in this uh, day of technology is, uh, is notes, handwritten notes, are, uh, are, are hugely impactful to people. If you get something that someone spent the time to, to write down, uh, it will mean more to them than any other way almost that you could uh, encourage them. I remember we had a season in our church where we were uh, writing notes to, uh, to people who served. And, uh, and I remember that I went to someone's house, and a couple of years later, they had that on the mantle of their fireplace, a note that I would written to them. Okay, it meant that much to them. So encouraging word, encouraging notes. Of course, uh, emails or, or text also. How, however you can communicate it, communicate it. Uh, Dave Willis had this to say about encouraging a word, and I think it's, it's very insightful. He said, you can die with unspent money and still leave it to the people you love, but can't give encouragement after you die. Don't leave earth with unspent love and unspoken words of kindness. Affirm people. 
Tell them how much you love them, appreciate them. Don't wait, start today. Okay, pretty uh, significant thing to think about. Okay, you, you can only really encourage others in word uh, while you're here on earth. You know, take advantage of every opportunity you have to do that. So encourage from the heart, encourage in word, encourage in action. Okay, this, this is, is pretty simple. There's lots of things you can do uh, to encourage people. Uh, I know a group of guys uh, at, a, at our church that are, are handyman guys, and, uh, and they help people who can't afford to have fixes made on their house. That's how they encourage them. They use their gifts that way. Uh, you know you can, and another action you can do with somebody is just simply be with them in a hard time. Okay, that, that action is a huge way to encourage people, just with your presence of, of being there with them. So in action, uh, you can encourage those around you. So encourage uh, from the heart, encourage in word, encourage in action, encourage in the moment. Okay, don't wait for the perfect opportunity to encourage somebody. When you see them do something really good or you see somebody who's down and you have a, a split-second thought of, boy, they could use some encouragement, that moment, it, it, encourage them. Don't let that uh, pass you by. Another way we should encourage others is, is when you aren't encouraged. Okay, so when you're not encouraged, uh, you should still encourage others. And it's a fallacy to say you can't encourage people around you because you don't feel encouraged. Uh, you can break that cycle. And encouragement is contagious. Okay, if you encourage uh, people, they will encourage people. And break, uh, break the cycle of, of people not being encouraged. You, you make the difference. So when you think about encouraging others, do it from the heart. Do it in word. Do it in action. Do it in the moment. Uh, do it when you aren't encouraged. And, uh, and think about those passages we talked about at the beginning. Uh, we're supposed to do this daily. Okay, so daily uh, encourage people. So encourage others. And I also encourage you to be encouraged. Okay, don't only give strength to others, have strength uh, yourself. And what I want to do is I want to look at the, uh, the Apostle Paul, who we talked about earlier, spent a lot of time with Barnabas, who was a natural encourager. I think this impacted him. And uh, there's something we can learn from Paul that I think would help each one of us in our thinking to, to be encouraged. And it comes from the, uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, he was writing to the church in Ephesus. People follow after Jesus there. And uh, this is what I told him. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's, let's look at this together. It's in Ephesians 3. Is, uh, is where we're going to be. Ephesians 3, we'll start uh, in verse 12. So Paul says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Okay, so Paul's thinking is, uh, I can have confidence in God. Okay, that's where it starts. I have confidence in him. Then if we move down two verses to verse 14, he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Okay, so he says, because I have confidence in God, that leads me to pray. Okay, I, I take my request to him because, because I have this confidence. And then skip down to verse 16, and we're going to look at what he prays when he prays and what he's thinking about when he prays. So he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Okay, so he basically does every kind of measurement he can think of, long, high, wide, deep. God's love is incredible for us. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now catch what he closes with here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. 
Okay, and there's four words that jump off the page at me. Okay, the words are immeasurably more and God's power. So when Paul thinks about God, he thinks he can do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine because of his power. Okay, so those are the words that, that stick out with Paul. Immeasurably more, God's power. Immeasurably more happens because of God's power. So I want to share with you what God has taught me personally about this. So um, I grew up in a, uh, a Christian home. Uh, my mom was the, a strong follower of Jesus. My dad wasn't really involved. And uh, my mom would, uh, would have me at church every time it was open. So uh, we went to our little, uh, little Baptist church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, Wednesday. So I was there all the time growing up. And then uh, I remember uh, being nine years old and we're sitting around the family table and uh, the way we were assigned is uh, my dad was at the head of the table, my mom was next to him, my middle brother was here, uh, I was at the other end of the table, my little brother was over here. That's how we always sat. And uh, we, were, we were eating spaghetti and uh, voices started to rise between my mom and my dad. So I kind of look up to see, see what's going on. And uh, my dad takes his plate of spaghetti and uh, throws it against the wall. And uh, it's one of those moments, you know, when you have a, a, a traumatic moment, it, it moves in slow motion. Uh, I, I still can picture the, the plate in slow motion as it hits the wall. And then the spaghetti and the sauce uh, slowly going down the wall. And uh, that's the last meal my family ever had together, uh, that, that meal. And my dad left. And... Uh, we did the uh, every other weekend thing for like two years, and my mom would always uh, be crushed uh, if we left. And so my plan was uh, every other Friday uh, after school, I would run away to the woods, and I'd wait till the night when I knew my dad had picked up my brothers and I'd come home so mom wouldn't be by herself. So I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad, and he moved to Texas after that. So I didn't really see him uh, growing up through high school, uh, junior high, high school. And I have just lots of painful memories of growing up uh, without a dad around. And uh, I remember shaving for the first time. Uh, that's uh, physically painful when no one teaches you how to do that. Uh, I remember, um, you know, in Indiana, basketball is a big deal, and I was on the basketball team. And I remember coming out uh, of the locker room uh, into the gym after games, and all my buddies uh, would have their dads were waiting for them, and they'd go over to their dad, and their dad would, you know, talk to them, tell them what they, what they saw about the game and everything. And I just would walk through all the dads and uh, their sons, and I'd go out to my car and uh, just always thinking, gosh, I, you know, that, that kind of stinks that I don't have someone to talk to about that. And uh, so that was, was high school. And then in college, he'd moved back uh, to Indiana, and he came to a couple of my games in college, but we didn't really have a relationship. And uh, so it just was kind of non-existent. And, uh, uh, you know, I had done what I think a, a lot of guys do with painful stuff. So we just kind of bury it, and we just hope it goes away if we just, you know, stick it away and don't think about it. Uh, the problem with that is it always gets unburied at some time. And so uh, in college, I had to do an internship uh, at a church in Alaska, and I take my kids to camp. And if you've been around church uh, for a while, you know this song. There's a song that's called, uh, the words to it are, how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us. And uh, we're singing that song, and uh, I just feel this uh, incredible um, just sadness welling up within me. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm thankful I have a heavenly father that loves me, but I, I don't feel that from my earthly dad. And, uh, and my eyes, uh, you know, I think it was allergies. They started to well up. And, um, you know, I'm just, uh, just sad, just sitting there. And again, I, you know, bury it and try to, try to not think about it. 
and I, I moved out to Arizona and uh, start my ministry there and uh, met my wife and, and we got married and that was the next big tension with this is my dad going to come to the wedding or not and uh, my, they, my mom and him not getting along uh, he didn't come so it just kind of stays out of sight out of mind and then uh, when I was 28 uh, my wife and I uh, had our, our first daughter and uh, those of you that are parents you remember when you brought your first kid home from the hospital and uh, that car seat, you check the seat belt like 85 times, you know, make sure that it's in there tight. And you drive like six miles an hour, you know, because you're being all safe with your new baby. And I remember getting home. And uh, she's a, a beautiful baby girl, cue ball, uh, no, no hair at all. And I put her uh, in the middle of our bed. And I look at her and uh, I just like, uh, I say, gosh. I will never hurt you. I'll never leave you. Um, and it just hits me. I, I didn't have a dad do the same thing for me that I want to do for her. And so again, this thing just keeps coming up, this wound. And so uh, a couple years after that, out of the blue, my dad calls me. And uh, he just says, hey, you know, I know we don't talk and uh, just been thinking about you. How are you doing? And like, you know, we have a very shallow conversation but he keeps making an effort. Uh, you know, every couple months or so, he would call me. And then uh, one time he asked me, you know, what did I have coming up? And I said, well, I'm leading a group of guys down to Mexico. We're going to build uh, houses for some people that are uh, less fortunate. And he said, well, could I, if I flew out there, could I go with you? And I thought hard about it, and I realized that would be like anti-pastor-like to tell someone not to go on a mission trip, right? <laughs> so uh, he says, sure, sure, you can come with us. And so uh, my dad joined like 50 or 60 of us guys going down there. And uh, it, like, rocked his world. Uh, one thing, being around a bunch of uh, men who love Jesus, who were, like, uh, normal, fun-to-be-with guys, rocked his world. Uh, another thing, serving poor people. So that, that started shifting in my dad an interest in Jesus. And so uh, he starts to kind of take steps. He's asking me questions. He's going to church. And so there's, like, this slow progression. He would come every year for five years on this trip and so he's growing in his faith. He and I are getting close, but it's still, you know, not, um, I, I would say it went from being frigid to it's, it's almost defrosted a little bit, uh, our relationship. And so then um, keeps getting better and uh, we're getting closer. And then one year he asked if he could stay at our house for a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, being from Indiana, I have no idea why he'd want to be in Phoenix, Arizona in February. You know, I, I like to think it's just to be with me, but, you know, snow and all that. So he comes out for a February, uh, like three years ago, and he stays for a month. And uh, uh, it was okay. And he's growing in his faith. He's getting close to his granddaughters, and he and I are getting closer. But things really took a change um, this year. Uh, and so what happened is the church he was involved in, he, w he got involved in deeper discipleship, uh, Bible study and prayer and some fasting and a community, and God just really started uh, bringing him into just a whole uh, new level in his faith. And he's talking to me about it, and I just can't believe the phone calls that I'm having with him about faith stuff and uh, the way our relationship is going. And I'll read to you a text that he sent me on January 13th of this year. He said, hey, Paul, I'm taking ownership of the divorce from your mom. I was not the man, father, and husband that I should have been. I will be the person God intends me to be from this point forward. I love you. And I, yeah. And, uh, and I've like, I like read this text and um, can't believe it. You know, I, I never thought I would, 
get that kind of text from my dad. And uh, so he comes out a couple weeks later to spend February with us, and, uh, and he gets involved in his men's study. And uh, the men's study was, uh, was looking at some John Eldridge uh, material that talks about a father wound. And if you're f- familiar with that, it's basically that if you have some type of hurt from your dad when you're little, it can stay with you for a long time. And uh, so he comes home from one of those Bible studies, and we have this really long talk in my living room, uh, him asking me about my father wound from him and him apologizing for it. And I mean, just unbelievable what's happening here. But then here's the kicker. So this movie comes out, I can only imagine. Um, I'm not going to give it away because they basically tell everything in the trailer, okay? But what it is, it's a father-son who have an estranged relationship, and uh, their relationship is reconciled as the dad becomes a believer in Jesus. Okay, that's a thing. And so my whole family goes to that, and my dad comes with us, and my dad and I sit next to each other in the theater, and uh, I look over at him, and we're both wiping away tears during the movie. And um, and God whispers in my ear, he says, did you ever think this was possible? <laughs> Your dad would like text you and apologize for all the past. He would want to have a close relationship with you. He's following after me. And like he now encourages you in your faith. Did you ever think that was possible? And what I want to tell you is, you know that 28-year-old guy that laid on the bed next to his newborn daughter? If you would have told me where things are at today, I would not have believed it. Okay, there's no way I would have believed that was possible. So I come back to this. God is able to do immeasurably more because of his power. And I know in this room right now that many of you have things that you have put in the category of God could never do anything about that. You've stopped praying about it. You've stopped having hope for it. And you just don't think anything's going to happen with that thing. I don't know if it's a marriage. I don't know if it's finances. I don't know if it's a past hurt. There is absolutely nothing in your life that God couldn't do something great with. And that you could sit down with a piece of paper and you could think about that thing and you could say, okay, I'm going to write down what I think is the most incredible thing that could happen with that and God can far surpass that. Far beyond what you could ask or imagine. And so I want to close out our time together. I want all of you to bow your heads. And I want you to take a second And I want you to confess to God if you have that thing that you've given up hope on. If there's that thing in your life that you think is beyond him being able to do something about it, confess that to him right now. And just say, God, I want to confess to you I've given up hope in this. Father in heaven, I come to you now, and um, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for the love that you have for us. Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, you expect uh, each one of us to take the love you've given us and encourage others with it.
And Father, I, I pray you help us to see those opportunities, to see those opportunities, take, make the most of them. But Father, most of all right now, I want to pray for every single issue that was lifted up in this room right now. The things that we don't think anything can come out of, that we, we've handcuffed you, we don't believe you can do anything about it. Father, I pray right now that you work in each one of those situations. And Father, if there's healing that needs to take place, uh, you're the great physician, you can do that healing. Father, if there's restoration that needs to happen, you can make that happen. Uh, Father, if it's a miracle, we know you can make that happen too. And I want to pray that this week you will do something very tangible that each person in here that's lifted one of those things up will see that you're working in that on their behalf. And so, Father, help us as followers of Jesus to be the most encouraged people because we know you're able to do immeasurably more because of your great power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.